Hi, welcome to Better Red Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we are going to be talking about The Call of the Wild, which is Jack London's 1903 novel about a big giant bozo in Alaska. But he's a duck, so it's fine to say he's a dumb bozo. (laughs) So, Katie, this was your pick. Why The Call of the Wild? Oh, hang on one second. Uh, Ring, 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 ring. Ring, 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 ring. Anybody want to get that? Oh, it's a phone. I forgot what they sound like, actually. Oh, phone. Yep. Hello. (laughs) Uh, uh, Hello. Uh, With whom do I have the pleasure of speaking? Um, This is... This is Jack Traverse. What is his name? This is the guy in the novel. I'm the guy. Oh, you're the guy. Uh, well, this is uh, I'm I'm uh, my name is is Buck Hard Dickington, um, and I'm a dog. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, it's the wild calling. <gasps> I thought it might be the wild. It was the wild. <laughs> thanks, thanks for thanks for picking up. Um, I'm a dog, so I can't really work the smartphone too well. So, um, I'm just going to pause this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, I'll let it go to voicemail. <laughs> okay. Oh, seriously, folks. Uh, no. The reason why why call the wild? Well, if you wish that the dog rates Twitter account were somewhat more racially aware, then <laughs> I have a book for you. <laughs> Call the wild. Aware, right? Yeah, racial aware. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's got some yeah, racial sure. awareness going on. Um, some under and over racial something. It sure uh, does. It does. The, no, but in all sincerity, this book uh, it brings to mind a classic game that I love very much: fuck, Mary kill. But the only <laughs> option is your dog. Um, <laughs> oh no. Well, Jack London, fun fact, uh, wrote two thirds of this book with one hand down his pants. Yes. I read a PDF version that was still somehow crusty with cum. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. The pages were all stuck together. Somehow. Uh, but no shit. I listened to part of this as a, a free audiobook on on YouTube. And there's a part where they're the two dogs are in a fight, and um instead of his prostrate rival, the reader says his prostate rival, which <laughs> awesome. <laughs> which actually felt like more accurate too. Uh-huh. Just more true to true to London's intent. The entire book is horny on a level that I can barely comprehend. Uh, and I'm going to get all the way up to the elbow in that during the summary portion. Um, but truly, uh, Jack London, if this book is any indication, ha- had elected to write a book about dogs, never having seen or interacted with one in his life. Mm-hmm. He is just he's just ambiently horny about dogs. He's going off about whips and chains and and breath play and the biggest dog you've ever seen yes the biggest one his name is buck he just wants to wrestle all the other dogs and just kind of violently penetrate them <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, he's also he's also the one cool thing is he's also constantly besting French Canadian boobs. Um, mm-hmm. who who every last one of them talks like the candlestick from Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> 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 and like 
they say shit to each other like, ah, mon ami, monsieur, the dog, he has the biggest baguette. Uh, We must let him be in charge of us. (laughs) Ah, French Canada. (laughs) (laughs) He is the beast. (laughs) Call the wild. Uh, I, I say pick it up. Cause, cause Jack London as a dude, we have some issues with him. Um, but as a book, this is fun and funny, like ninety eight percent of the time, I would say. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Okay. So, bro, hey, bro, <laughs> are you an alpha? Are you are you an alpha? Like, what? What if you're a big dog, bro? Like, as big as some adult people? Like, what would you would you kick other dogs' asses? Mm-hmm. Or would you knock another dog out of his spot as sled dog leader to take his place? Maybe. Oh, wow. oh yeah. And if someone says, do you even lift, bro? You respond, hell yeah, I even lift. Here's a picture of me pulling a thousand pound sled. Well, <laughs> if that's a picture you own, this is the book for you. And The Call of the Wild is about a dog. It's narrated in close third by the dog. Uh-huh. <laughs> for real. Yeah. Real book. Real book. This is not a children's book. And that's also important because they often have close third dogs. But it's very important that you know that this is a book for for you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and I don't know if this is the best bad book I've ever read or the stupidest good book I've ever read. Yeah. I mean and, – yeah, maybe both. both. Yeah, I think both probably. So like we were at the Oxford and in the like pre-introduction introduction because that's how academic editions work that they're like, you have 45 introductions to read now. The editors <laughs> write, this is a swear to God what they say, direct quote, the call of the wild is America's most solemn claim to the title of great world novel, more <laughs> widespread in its True. appeal. Than even such classics as Moby Dick and Huckleberry Finn. If you can see all our eyes right now, they're like bugging out of our heads. I also love that they picked those two books to compare it to. It's like, okay, all right, sure, sure, (laughs) sure, yeah, sure. Uh, And and they say, okay, both of which are surely great American novels, meaning American novels, but not world novels. Not, of course, remembering that Moby Dick does not take place in the United States. No, mm-hmm. no. Wow. Other than like 20 pages at the beginning. Yeah. Right. It all takes place in the uh, heterotopia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maritime law says everywhere is America. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. All right. To continue, they say, <laughs> but London's story about the magnificent Buck's transformation from ranch pet to ghost dog of the Northland has struck some deep mythic chord in readers of all ages in all countries from the time of its first publication three generations ago. And that is fucking wild. Yep. (laughs) And these two men are a total of six 10-year-olds in two trench coats writing (laughs) Oxford introductions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a good grift. Yeah. It's a good grift. I mean, they could go to R-rated movies too, but what they decided to do is write intros. So it's it's, it's universal appeal, like dude bros of the American uh, variety. And then also countries at the top of the planet, right? So like I, yeah. if you're Canadian, Russian, or American, this will speak to you. you know? <laughs> also, if you want to be a dog. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think if my dogs furry, don't even want to be dogs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure they know they're dogs, but that's because they are not people and don't have interiority. But that's, you know, that's a point of view and not an empirical fact. Uh, okay. So before I read it, though, this was, this was very new for me. I only knew that Call the Wild is about sled dogs and one big dog in particular and also something about wolves. Um, Jack London Square is a place in Oakland where I used to go sometimes. So I knew that he was a Bay Area guy, which is a good thing to be. Uh, that's what I knew. That's the entirety of it. <laughs> and that was plenty. I feel that I was able to live inside of a dog's mind knowing almost nothing. <laughs> uh but what i've learned on the journey of doing this podcast is that when i read books in which a lot of dogs die and this maybe hundreds like many dogs meet unfortunate ends in this book i have to give one of my dogs the deepest cuddle and in this case it was my dog gus who was not at all mad at my cuddle intensity and he told me bro i'd take down a moose for you Aww. <laughs> he uh, could, but he wants to think he could. Yeah, uh, moose are terrifying. By the way, they really are. Uh, yeah, it's a really great part in a book where a fucking dog takes down a moose. You know, a thing that happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, man, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't do, I don't do outdoors shit really. Uh, but we, we went to <laughs> we went to visit friends in Alaska a few years ago, and uh, we, we went to the you know, Denali, and uh, and we decided, oh my god, the sun's out at eleven p.m. Let's drive into there, and so we park, oh. take some photos. About ten feet from our car, this giant moose just stands up out of the fucking brush. I was like, that, uh, "This is too real for me." <laughs> you know, this is too this is too moosey. Also, like, what are you going to do? You're going to wait until that moose is done. Yeah, basically, yeah. basically. So I, I'll go. I, so actually, I, I, I do think I've come down on the side of this being the best bad book that I've I've read, or or certainly one of them. I, unlike Megan, it did not make me give my cats very deep cuddles, but instead wonder about you know, could I teach them to mush and strike out for the Klondike? And by that, I mean, dress my kid up like a prospector and the cats like huskies and get them to pull them around the apartment. Um, that, hey, that's Tristan, a ju- do you know the expression, hard is hurting cats? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, uh, yes. But uh, yes, no, definitely. Uh, you know, I'm going to stick at stick to it, damn it. Um, also, for any PETA types, that's a joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and my cats would deserve it. But uh, it, it, yeah, it is definitely bro as fuck, this novel. It is also hella fucked up. You know, yeah, we, we know London was, you know, a socialist or said he was. Hell yeah to that. Um, but also into some less cool things like like eugenics. Uh, <laughs> and that, uh, knowing that makes me have lots of thoughts about just how into darwinism call of the wild is and you know like don't get me wrong evolutionary biology it's it's cool right and i actually could see a way a way in which those weird quote-unquote memories that buck has uh of like you know running around the savannah forest with like a pre-homo sapien hominid like i could see how that's kind of like compelling in the early 20th century where they're just sort of figuring this out um today would be dorky as hell and clunky but okay whatever you know i mean in 1903 
Um, yeah, we just figured out we're apex fucking predators, bro. We gotta apex our way through this. <laughs> well, the, you yeah, know, the, big dogs, and that the Earth is is you know many billions of years old, and that they're you know like, yeah okay sure, but you know so that could be cool. But then all of the fetishizing of the wild and survival of the fittest veers quite heavily into shit that looks like, uh, damn man, you're you're about to do eugenics. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh no, dude. <laughs> and, I'd, and so I I'd like to talk about that, and also like. The, you know, so the early novel as like a genre of human psychology, you know, that's kind of my jam as an 18th centuryist. I am like, you know, Megan talked about how this novel is narrated by the dog in close third. That is fucking crazy for something that's not <laughs> YA fiction. Um, and I, I want, I also want to talk about that. And I'm kind of curious what animal studies people think of this weird ass book. And I legitimately don't know, but so yeah, I have no idea. Well, maybe we can think our way into that if we feel like it. <laughs> We're going to think ourselves into some corners. I think we just got to put that in there. Yep. So today we're talking about uh, masculinity, bro, dogs, gender, the wild, and the sort of form genre structure of this book. So Katie, uh, summary first. Oh, yeah. Let's have a summary. Call the wild. So we we open up. And it's a, it's a crime heist thriller. We open on a guy doing the perfect crime. He's stealing a dog from California to go pull Santa's sleigh in the Yukon gold mines. And that dog is Buck, a 140-pound stud. Um, he finds himself in the film Taken. And he is not too keen on his on his new surroundings once he gets handed off to the to the dog, uh, the dog buyers instead of dog whisperers training method he basically gets like the shit beaten out of him by a dude in a red sweater who is not like the man in the yellow hat he just (laughs) the opposite of that basically yeah so we have this like beginning where he's getting introduced to his new life and getting the absolute shit beat out of him with a club by some fucking guy in a sweater okay so he learns that the club is primitive law just keep that in your mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will come up he, later on yes, every page. He, he then goes to hang out with well, – he's the, he's the two Canadian guys by him. He doesn't go to hang out with them. Their names are like Jacques and Francois. I don't remember. It was Jacques and um, – what the fuck is the other guy's name? One of them is uh, Francois, but per- I can't per- remember the other. Perot? Is that per- – Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Perot and 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 Jacques and Francois Jacques, right? Jacques. Um, Okay, so he gets he goes hang out with these two French Canadians who both have the most French ass names you've ever heard in your life. They're described as one being swarthy and one is twice as swarthy. That's Jack London for you (laughs) because he's mixed race, right? You see, he's like, like a half breed, uh, which could mean any uh, number of things. I I wondered that too, but I also thought it's like, I, but I could also see it just be like, no, that means he wears even extra flannel as he chops down trees. That's the French Canadians <laughs> do, you know. Like, <laughs> I mean, he's got when a he says really black beard, it's a black faced giant. Okay, that means beard. Francois was a French Canadian half breed and twice as swarthy. Half breed though, like. Does that I, we don't fucking know what that means here? No, I, I, and no I, idea. So I think you, it could be racialized. It could be like he's French and English, or you know, like it does. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Uh. They get on this ship called the Narwhal, and the reason I mention it is because on the Narwhal we find out that Jack London wants to fuck everything he writes about, including the ship. Um, it's just like it's it's kind of like the motion of the ocean, baby. It's mm-hmm. it's 
unusually sexy. So once Buck and his dog friends uh, arrive at the Yukon, um, ready to haul these French Canadian dudes on a sled. But before they can sort of do that, one of the dogs, who's a girl dog named Curly, is absolutely torn to bits by 30 to 40 huskies. And we are told that Buck has PTSD from this. He has recurrent nightmares. And again, I have to say, what Jack London thinks it takes to kill a dog, he thinks that every single one is Rasputin. He thinks that you can club them to death until they just cyclone around and that 30 to 40, you need to kill one one fucking dog. So we also find out that um, that Buck has begun to heed the call of the wild. He's he's begun stealing food from other uh, lesser heckin' puppers. Um, and... <laughs> And this is how we know that he is not in civilization anymore, but he's under the law of club and fang. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the dogs are pulling the sled like they do. It's real gnarly out there. And there's a dog named Spitz. Yes, that's right, named Spitz. And he keeps giving Buck a, a throbbingly hard time. Um, they start fighting a bunch, and the French guys stand around as the dogs fight and yell, give it to him. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, one day they know that Buck will make spits swallows. They, uh, <laughs> that's your best one yet. Yeah. I, <laughs> I just have impressed. I wasn't, I didn't necessarily think that, uh, that Call of the Wild would, uh, would, would, would be our, our filthiest episode, but you know. Well, <laughs> I mean, a lot hat. of episodes are in the running. Let's not, uh, I know. let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Okay, so they're they're calling in the wild. They're running into these bands of starving huskies who are just like bone, like skin and bone. They're very scary. We also find out that Buck is very good at his job pulling the sled, but his little feeties are are not so uh, are not so accustomed to the to the rough wilds. So uh, Francois starts massaging his feet and making him little moccasins, and at one point. Buck rolls over on his back and shows the feet, sweetie. He waves them in the air like a cam girl. Um, <laughs> in his pleasers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sign up for his OnlyFans. Um, there's another lady dog named Dolly. She goes nuts and and torn to bits. No place, there's no place for the lady in the wild. No. Anyway, Buck and, and Big White Spitz are again trying to penetrate each other at the end of the, the chapter. Um and this is this is the end of Spitz. Buck kills him by biting both of his legs, snapping them like pretzel rods, and all the starving huskies eat him. Mm-hmm. Like happens. Yeah. Um the Dead French dog guys number are- 47. <laughs> yeah, just just do a tally. <laughs> We're um, only like a third of the way into the book, too. So, you know. <laughs> uh, the French guys, though, surprisingly, they think it's cool that um, Spitz is dead. And because they're going to make better time now, that there's less dog fights, which they can presumably do nothing about. We find out, though, the most sinister thing that Buck has killed Spitz so that he can take his job as lead sled dog, which is a fucking unpaid internship. Yes. <laughs> cool, cool Mayor Pete move. <laughs> I want the best yeah. job that pays. Them. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even feed them enough. Exactly. No, no. Exactly. And again, like 
the French guys, in addition to not feeding them and um, just generally being all Canadian and such, uh, they don't want Buck to lead the sled, but apparently he insists. And they try to, like, get him into his normal spot, and they're like, we curse you and uh, and all of your ancestors and all of the cum that will ever <laughs> issue forth from your dog dick. <laughs> but, they, but they capitulate, and they let him be the lead dog. This chapter is mostly about canines besting french canadians mm-hmm. his mommy was a collie he's very smart well <laughs> indeed i mean yeah th- this is borne out uh, in the text yeah. we are told that in addition to being um part collie buck is 100 percent fascist he rules with an iron <laughs> yeah. fist mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah and and the very, very, so, very socialist narrative here jack yeah right <laughs> jack <Lund. laughs> This uh, team could be a commune, and yet here we are. (laughs) Well, well, well. You know, it would be. It would be. But here's why it's not, we're told. Because Buck is the – has a big, fat ass, and he can crush the other dogs. Like, that's that's what – he weighs – he, like, he's the biggest, biggest one. He's a big boy, and he can sit on them. Like, that's that's the explanation that's given. He has a real Protestant work ethic. And he knows how to make the other guys go zoom, zoom. You know, he makes his sled go fast. And they they get to wherever the fuck they're going. I can barely pay attention to the short book. Uh, the two French guys, sadly, are gone at this point. Um, and we get a semi-boring part about the dogs hauling mail around for a Scottish guy. During this part, sometimes the dogs just, quote, loaf around. I assume that they are sitting around a table playing poker and such. <laughs> Buck at this point keeps getting instincts and he and memories of his heredity. Uh, things seem awfully familiar. Woo. We then meet a dog named Dave who has clinical depression from hauling the mail. No, actually, something may be wrong with him. Because all of these dogs are fucking American psychos, Dave is sad that he can't work and prefers to die in the harness being dragged to death so that he can be That's happy. dignity, says the book. Yeah. Just working yourself yeah. literally yeah. to death. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, he can't go anymore, so he gets shot in the head. Yeah, what did you do with workers? Hi. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. Yeah, this. Th- why did Jack London think he was a socialist again? <laughs> it was the cool thing to be. <laughs> here's here's the thing that we'll get. Like maybe we'll get to we'll we'll get to this a little bit later. But Jack London was hot, and you can really tell. Oh, was he? Okay. Yeah. I actually, I apparently you, now that I've been now that that has been revealed, he seems this seems like hot guy writing. The, wi- yes. the, wi- the Wikipedia, the Wikipedia uh, page makes that clear. Yeah, but the dude's hot. Yeah, I mean, he, there's a couple photos, and it's like, oh yeah, that's you know, okay, cool, you know, good looking guy. <laughs> All right, I even thought he was hot. Uh, can we just talk about the fact that well, the dog is named fucking Dave, like the movie about <laughs> yeah. the like Dave. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the rest of them have so dog we names, thought- but this one is just called Dave. Yeah, like Buck and Spitz and Curling. Yeah. Dave, 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 yeah. Dave. Yeah. Dave. I could. I had a hard time figuring out who was a dog yeah. for a while. So these dogs, they're done their mail run, and they find, and we find out that these dogs are tired as fuck, and they all have the injuries and body profiles of MMA fighters who should be retiring, um, but haven't. The dogs, the tired ass dogs, get sold to Hal and Charles, two American dipshits. Mm. One has a mustache. One has a belt with a gun and a knife. And they are just two dumbasses traveling with an even bigger dumbass. The only possible bigger dumbass, a woman. Mercedes, her name is Mercedes. And she's Hal's sister and Charles's wife and our 
worst. She might be the biggest cry sack in the history of the American novel. And I put Amy March below her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I. And, and and I I mean rivals Hemingway for the most misogynistically Rem- remarkable woman character. Yeah, like I like. <laughs> yeah, no. So so this is the one lady that we meet basically the whole time, who's not a a, a dog, but she is a, a classic dumb bitch. She's fu- she's fucking everything up. She's making the sled too heavy with all her clothes and then being like, oh, don't hit the dogs. And then she walks up to the dogs and is like, oh, we wouldn't have to hit you if you just pulled the sled harder. <laughs> uh. um, so as we as we go forward, uh, everybody's sister wife becomes more and more of a chaotic dumbass. The sled tipping tippy canoe and tyler too and bach at one point is just like fuck this i'm not going anymore and how mustache guy starts beating the absolute shit out of buck and we meet our hero john thornton who is like if you club that dog one more time i'm gonna fuck you and he rescues <laughs> with, buck. The, with the club yeah <laughs> well sure uh whatever whatever you know dealer's choice um Buck is fucking obsessed with this guy. Uh, when a dude in a bar attacks him, Buck tears the guy's throat out, and everybody in the bar Woo-hoo! is like, "Listen, I know we nor I know we normally have a policy for when dogs rip the throats out of people, but this time we're gonna let it slide." Yeah, because he's too yeah, cool. Like, he, I, it's fine. He had it coming. Yeah, he's too cool, and he had that guy had it coming. Yeah, <laughs> it's like all right. So so anyway, uh, we're back uh, with with. Thornton, uh, John Thornton, and and Buck, and um, Buck loves him so goddamn much, it's unreal. And at one point, the uh, the the again extremely thinkable happens because we're very close to the 19th century. Uh, Thornton falls into the water, and he's getting pulled down uh, the stream by quote the suck of the water. And Buck says, "The only one who sucks you is me," and jumps in. And saves him. <laughs> and saves him. Uh, they do the Elon Musk submarine thing, but Buck is the submarine. And uh, and so after after this dramatic rescue, uh, the next time they get into town, hold on to your hats, prepare for a lot of jerks and straining, because somebody bets John that Buck can't pull a thousand pounds, but Buck is so hard for this guy that he can do it. Uh, an erotic thriller, yes. to be sure. Now we're 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 getting to the end, the last chapter, the sounding of the call. So, winning this, uh, who can pull the heaviest shit bet? Buck makes sixteen hundred dollars for John Thornton, so that they can go to a secret mine of legend. They get to this valley where they find like a buttload of gold, but there's not a lot for the dogs to do. So Buck does what all dogs do and has himself a good long think. <laughs> um, As an owner yeah. of dogs, I uh, guarantee so- you what they're doing right now is thinking. Yes, yes not licking their own buttholes or sleeping or oh, they're napping, chasing. Oh, you can't multitask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so as he's as he's pondering the nature of existence, he uh, in the woods, he hears a call telling him to come. So he nuts right off after it and he meets a wolf in the woods 
And uh, he, between running around with a wolf, he's all up on Thornton's dick when he's at camp. He kills a bear, and we are told that this dog has self-respect, which makes his fur look better for some reason. <laughs> they they <laughs> hours over here. Yeah. We're also told at this point that he is exactly like a wolf, but bigger. And he is over spilling with virility. At this point, we are crackling with horny energy uh, again. So it, and, it's, and it's pouring forth. Okay. So now we're really getting to the end, fam. This pretend uh, tribe, the, the Yeehats, uh, kill or are doing a massacre. But Buck is unaware because he is, is off chasing a an 800-year-old <laughs> moose um, uh, until he kills it. And he, he gets back and he sees the carnage and he goes, he goes on, he's having a, he's, he's on a vendetta. He rips the throat out of the, the chief, the, the chief of the Yeehats. He now has killed men under the law of club and fang. And John Thornton is dead. That's his last tie to the human world. And the wolf pack approaches him. Holy shit. He takes out three of them. Just bing, bang, boom. Dogs him, dogs him to death, doggy style. And then, <laughs> and then the whole pack attacks and he uh, finds a little hidey hole and he's able to like sort of make friends with the wolf pack. He sees this, the wild wolf that he ran around with. They touch noses. This is a thing. And so we find that the, the wolves are, uh, are becoming brown with white splotches, which means he's fucking with, mm-hmm. in with them. Yeah. Uh, change in the change in the breed is noticed. He becomes a, a legend of the Yeehats, a ghost dog at the head of the pack who everyone fears. And that's pretty much fucking it. Mm-hmm. Ghost yep. dog. Am I right, ladies? Total alpha bro. Men and ladies. Um, and all others we're all just horny for this big saint bernard collie mix katie the only thing you neglect you you very good catalog of all the things that jack london was horny for in this book (laughs) but the one thing you left out was the weather which he's also very horny for like every chapter is like it was 40 below no actually it was 60 below and then (laughs) it was even colder than that it's like okay we get it it's cold it's fucking hard to like it it mentions very briefly like seasons but yet everything seems to be wetter somehow too you know like the great Uh, north yeah, the north, as it is, it, which is a place I've totally been as a prospector, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> That's my new theory. Jack London totally didn't actually do any of that R- IRL stuff. <laughs> well, he was he was good at the uh, good at the tail then. <laughs> Somebody was doing like an elaborate Truman Show thing to him, and he was doing like really li- like just little stuff around the ha- around the house, and his and his mom just told him like, oh. <laughs> well, he did like the bottle a lot, so you know. Oh, it's but. 1903. Who doesn't? Who's fun that That's doesn't want to drink themselves yeah. to death? Katie, will you get the context for this? Ah, uh, yes, I, I shall. Jack London. He was a he was a man of many many contrasts and contradictions. Um, he was an American whose last name was London, <gasps> which is in England. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. And a few people know that. Uh, He was often racist, but sometimes he also said things that were not racist. 
he was a socialist who thought that the uh, the strongest man in a slap fight and wrestling contest should be in charge of the other guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's our that's our core tenet of our yeah. of our ideology. Yeah, exactly. He was not necessarily a great fan of women, but he did seem to like his second wife. Everybody does. Who he left his first wife. See, how are we saying he's a racist or a misogynist? He sometimes said not racist things and liked a woman. <laughs> Sort of. Correct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we think. So Jack London, Megan, you mentioned this uh, initially. He was he was a coastal elite from California. He was born in 1876, which was um, <laughs> which, which this, this Smithsonian article about him helpfully uh, says that it was the same year as the Battle of Little Bighorn and Custer's Last Stand. Um, and he dies the same year that the submachine gun was invented. So he really had quite a quite a quite a quite a life. Quite a surrounded on all sides by guns. Pretty much, yeah. So his his mom was sort of interesting in her own right. She was a spiritualist. She did a bunch of uh, seances. His biological father was probably an a, a, an itinerant astrologer. <laughs> the best the best profession I know. Yep, the best guys. Um, the best guys to fuck you are <laughs> astrologers who are getting uh, easing on down the road. Here's just some quick side notes uh, that related to this. He wrote a bonkers ass novel about astral projection, probably because he was mad that his dad scooted when Mercury was in retrograde. He also apparently only slept five hours a night. And he actually said some shit like, gee, golly gosh, bless the man who invented alarm clocks, because I can do a lot of success wins by not sleeping. <laughs> but let's go back, back to the back to the childhood childhood days uh when he had normal 19th century child jobs like selling newspapers singing up pins in a bowling alley and working in a very dangerous factory but but working so hard made him fucking hate work which is a correct opinion um mm, yeah. he also had a lot of adventure boners so as um uh, as a teen he hopped aboard a ship because he was like i'm gonna kill some seals in the pacific <laughs> then <laughs> then he did real hobo hours on trains until he was arrested. Things weren't going really great for him at that point. Uh, he says about when he was 18 um, that he had been born and, you know, working class had had to work. Um, that things had now gotten really bad. I was beneath the point, he says, at which I had started. I was down in the cellar of society, down in the subterranean depths of misery, in the pit, the abyss, the human cesspool, the shambles and charnel house of our civilization. It, I can only assume this is at the point at which the Jack London character who was in the uh, very famous Star Trek The Next Generation double episode, which also features Mark Twain as a character, uh, this is the, when Jack <laughs> London is working as a bellboy in a San Francisco hotel. It would probably have been about around this moment. Is that, is that, <laughs> is that right? <laughs> yeah, it was around that time. It was around that time. <laughs> this is what he beats data is what we're saying. I okay. don't think – TNG yeah. as your universal access point for 20th century culture seems not wrong to me. <laughs> <laughs> what was cool about that is when they met, uh, Jack London was able to get his hands on uh, the edition of um, of Call of the Wild that Megan has and be like, Mark Twain in your fucking face. I'm better than <laughs> you. I'm a better novelist than you. <laughs> so eat that. Yeah, so after he's like the cesspool, the cesspool, he decides he's going to become a brain merchant. Ooh. Uh, 
not not the way you're thinking though uh, not the way i was thinking <laughs> um he decides to get an, an education no, he joins the social not at labor. all what i thought was happening <laughs> well <laughs> Uh, yes, he joins the Socialist Labor Party. He heads to Berkeley for a semester in 1897. He leaves. He didn't He didn't have money to finish or to go any farther. So he is like, hey, there's here there's gold in them our hills. Joins the, the gold rush, writes a bunch of stories about whatever shit he did for a Klondike bar. Um, and then... <laughs> he is he becomes ri- kind of rich he's comfortable he's a big star sexy guy who everyone thought was very hot and rugged and much like many hot people as we discussed briefly he appears not to have ever been pushed to resolve the contradictions in his thought uh, a four or five surely would not have been permitted these but he uh as as a, as a solid eight uh even on the West Coast, was it was allowed them. Hey, a San Francisco eight is a real eight. <laughs> it's just yeah. a real eight. I mean, <laughs> it's so solid. You can't but an eighteen ninety six eight, uh, I don't know. <laughs> an eighteen ninety six eight is a Midwest four. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> no, but he he he. This is these are where some of the I don't know. He, he, his politics are a little like. I don't know if they're even his politics necessarily. This part is. Um, he said shit that made sense. That these, these people who have less than one percent of 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 America, they're they're the richest. They're the richest people. Why do they have? Why do they have their heel on our necks? Because they have seventy percent of all the wealth. Um, so he's saying stuff like that, and he's going on like socialist speaking tours, and mm. he's also saying shit like the Chinese. I have concerns, and I mean that. From a racial perspective, uh, yeah, uh, right. social Darwinism. Uh, uh, oh, racism is science. Look at my bubbling beakers. I'm Jack London, notable dumbass. Jack London, proto Strasserite. Yeah, c- come on, dude. It's so annoying. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. He was also a journalist and photojournalist. He covered a lot of big dick shit, like Warren Sports. This is like a good anecdote. He went to Korea in 1904 to cover the Russo-Japanese War, and he had to he had to scoot on out of there because he punched a Japanese officer, staple groom, and Teddy Roosevelt had to like go have him rescued. Uh, um, that's pretty great. And he then Teddy Roosevelt, but still. Well, Teddy Roosevelt had the last laugh because he called him a nature faker and was like, you don't know shit about the outdoors, bro. <laughs> but I, I mean, I agree. Totally fuck Teddy Roosevelt. We're in agreement on that. But uh, Teddy Roosevelt is odd to what I'm talking about, though, right? Yeah, that's like, true. This yeah, is yeah, all yeah. bullshit. <laughs> Even uh, fucking <laughs> Teddy Rose, like dense mustachioed <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt was like, you don't know you nature. Yeah. <laughs> And I live in a castle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Jack London also did a, some some rich dude shit. Um, he got this ranch in Sonoma, like wine country, Nancy Pelosi ass ranch, uh, in 1905. And he wrote about it hilarious shit. Like, I ride out of my beautiful ranch between my legs is a beautiful oh, horse. No. To which I say, you w- you wish, pal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he also was organic farming, true true facts, um, and seeing what would happen if various sorts of animals fucked. This is nowhere in the record, but given his other um, proclivities, we must also assume he sewed some of the animals together uh, yeah, to also see what happened uh, because that's the kind of guy he was. Human centipede, yeah, okay. But, or animal centipede, right? <laughs> centipede, centipede. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I never thought I'd say this, but can I just get a regular centipede? <laughs> so Jack London died at the age of 40. Um, he ate like shit. He was smoking all the time. His kidneys were like, no, thank you, sir. He went to Hawaii to try to get better. His, his second wife, who was cool and not like other girls for real. But he, by the time he died in 1916, he'd written 50 fucking books, Whoa. which is, which is just nuts. And I, I will say, well, we, we certainly must engage thoughtfully with the, the contradictions in London's thought and his writing. I think that we can say, and it's fair to say, that his stories themselves, these narratives of adventure, have truly burrowed their way into the American imagination like the barbed dick of a dog. <laughs> I thought it was cats that had the barbed dick, or is it dogs too? Okay. Dogs have oh, the d- lipstick dogs situation. Have a not, they, right. And they ma- their dick makes a knot or something. It's a, it's not, it's a, there's a thing that they can't get their dick out. <laughs> Yeah, me. It's my dog doesn't show me his dick. He's very out. respectful. That, that's, that is rare. Yeah, it's great. For yeah, dogs. he's very respectful. Yeah. So, hey, Tristan, why is this such a bro book? <laughs> <laughs> I so I, I was thinking about, and actually what I was thinking about most, and probably because we read it not that long ago, was Most Dangerous Game and the sort of, you know, fairly brief discussion we had about the rise of the, what we now think of as the adventure novel around this time, which also like has, I think, some weird connections. I mean, Hemingway wasn't writing, you know, adventure novels necessarily in that sense, but it is this weird sort of, well, weird and also very banal crisis of like, oh, what, where, where has civilization left man and like virility, you know, and then like we're getting soft and we need to, that returning to like this idea of the quote unquote primitive or like pre civilizational is like some sort of reparative gesture to this feeling of something that's been lost from, you know, the, you know, it, it's been lost in civilization, which is like, I, it's just so fucking stupid. Yeah, it's also <laughs> weirdly like, like, but Empire, wasn't that making us good at being boys? Yeah, and, and no, and, and you know, actually a detail that uh, that I just thought, I don't know why I said detail, uh, detail, <laughs> whatever the fuck, yeah, detail, uh, that, that uh, I thought of as you were saying that was that moment when it's towards the end of the novel and they find uh, that, that, that cabin, right. That where, uh, yeah, right. So, so they, yeah, so, they, so they're, they're going way, way out uh, into after this, this mythic mine, which again, it's like, okay, but the Klondike gold rush happened over a, peri- a couple period, a couple years in the 1890s. Like, how is there this mythic legendary mine right. there? But what, what the fuck ever? Because everything um, in this yeah, book so is a come, fucking legend. Yes. Right. It's a legend. Right. Well, and, and like, I'm, like, you know, uh, we talked about like with Washington Irving having fun with yeah. the idea of this mythic American past i don't think london's having fun with it i think this is what he's just like living nor is he doing both which is what i hope you don't get mad at me katie but hawthorne's doing both right he's like we really need to like get deep up the anus of like this the american legend but we also have to think it's troubled yes that's i think that's fair that's totally fair i'm not i'm I'm not i'm not mad which is what i'm not i'm not 
Which, which is what makes Hawthorne good and interesting, right? That sort of like conflict. I think London is interesting for other reasons. But anyway, so he said that like, it's a right. So like they come across this cabin, right? And I, another time they chanced upon the time graven wreckage of a hunting lodge. And amid the shreds of rotted blankets, John Thornton found a long barreled flintlock. He knew it for a Hudson Bay Company gun of the young days in the Northwest when such oh, a gun was shit. It's height and beaver skins packed flat. It's like that back when we knew how to do empire like men, not in this like, you know, no, oh, that is yeah, wall I mean, to wall. Like even saying Hudson Bay is raising the specter of. Couldn't we say corporation, Tristan? Is that right? Uh, yeah. Well, it's a yes. Uh, joints. I mean, it, it's a. No, it is. Well, it's a, it's a joint stock company, right? Which was like, it, it, it's essentially like, it's it, it's a pre-capital mercantilist thing where so basically like the crown grants a monopoly to these assholes to like go out and do colonial shit. And like, yeah, the Hudson, like much like the East India Company was basically given, you know, given quote unquote, all of India, uh, the, the, the Hudson, all, all of like North America was like the Hudson Bay Company. And he's got to get some beaver skins in there too, right? Like it has to be, it has yeah. to really dig itself into a sort of like i don't know pre-1890 the closure let's say the closure of the frontier i think that's not for nothing right like i know that that's a bit of an artificial line but it's i think it's let's let's just say it yeah no totally and and i think that you know it that that also like why the fucking arctic and why the north it is that it's that idea it's like oh like well america like america you know the continental united states it's like played out man we've we've already you know we've we've like conquered that or some shit so like we've got to go find this new space to colonize and but but then also this this idea of you know but there were there there was a time when there were manly men who did imperialism more manly who did did genocide better (laughs) yeah yeah right like by themselves out you know like yeah that kind of shit it's just really dope it is it's just complete cosplay Well, the other part of that that little anecdote or whatever is that I think that he says so they find the gun, but like no trace of the guy or his no no they don't find his body. It's as no. it's as if he is like become the yeah. gun. Mm, yeah, yeah, you're right. Absolutely, that's really interesting. Which is it's like oh, in death he became what he wanted to be in life a big old dick that shoots bullets yeah. out of it. Yeah. Well, and yeah, no, to, and, and so to sort of see like wh- why we're saying that the sort of the idea of like, quote unquote, civilization has made like men soft or like society soft. I think we can actually compare that to the very first paragraph of, of the of the of the novel. Or I, I'm going to say the second paragraph of the novel, like Buck Buck living in, um, you know, in, 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 in California. Uh, Buck lived at a big house in the sun-kissed Santa Clara Valley. Judge Miller's place, it was called. It stood back from the road, half hidden among the trees through which glimpses could be caught at the wide, cool veranda that ran around its four sides. The house was approached by gravel driveways, which wound about through wide-spreading lawns and under the interlacing boughs of, po- uh, of tall poplars. Uh, at the rear, things were on an even more spacious scale. In the front, there were great stables where a dozen grooms and boys held forth rows of uh, vine-clad servants' cottages and an endless and orderly array of outhouses, long grape arbors, green pastures, orchards, and berry patches. Then there was the pumping plant for the artesian well and the big cement tank where Judge Miller's boys took their morning plunge and kept cool in the hot afternoon. So it's like this idea of like lushness, plenty, and which then it, it constructs his laziness and softness, which Buck loses as he goes into this much more like rugged kind of not civilized space. They went um, all the way west, young man. There's no further to go west. <laughs> so now you got to go north, right? Yeah, like that's it. right. And it even it's not just that it's made men soft. It's even made 
dogs off. And you know what dogs yeah. are? They're just domesticated <laughs> mm-hmm. wolves. Yeah, exactly. Just don't don't domesticate yes. the just don't domesticate somebody who doesn't want to be a homebody. Yeah. He has soft paws. He yeah. has aristo hands. Yeah. Yeah, he can make money off those That's soft true. paws. Um and, and I think like the, the misogyny around like how Mercedes is is described, like I think that, that like one, that's just we should dunk on London for that. Uh, but I also think like he's he, you know, it's not like sort of like latent misogyny. It's very hostile to the idea of a woman yeah. in this fantasy space that it's building, right? Like she has to be a, a buffoon. She has to be and, and she has to like end up drowning in the river, which is what happens to her and all the dogs and the 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 uh, Howl and Charles. She's right? an interloper. Yeah, like yeah, right. She's like an interloper into this like boyland fantasy thing. But so are they. So are Hal and Charles. Like they're yeah. big. Like they are also not prepared dumbasses. Yeah, like that's true. they they too are intruders, and we know that because they brought some dizzy broad with them. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and I would say that too. Like, I mean, one way to think of that too is they're like they're effeminized in this kind. You know what I mean? Like that, which there's, there's, yeah, they're actually that that that's a whole like it, it discourse goes back to the 18th century. The feminine is like fine, but like the effeminate is like aberrant in some way. I kind of think their proximity to Mercedes and their unfitness for this manly man activity of doing this. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. I, I kind of feel like they those kind of collapse into each other a little bit. Yeah, I think there's like I can't figure out what, but there's there like well, there's like something about her being the sister of one and the wife of the other that's mm-hmm. weird too. Yeah, it's all like a little too, cl- it's a, it's like a little too close somehow. Yeah. You know, uh, it's like the fu- it's like that's not how the domestic's supposed to work. Like you're not supposed to be living with your brother and her like young husband. You know, that's right. Just- it's some version of like pathological. Yes, uh, in, in a way that uh, the eroticization of dogs is not. Somehow, right, that's right? not creepy <laughs> right? at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's some moment uh, where they're fine. like, he brought his wife, and normally wives are sent by USPS first class mail to whatever uh, outhouse you're living in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Open up the shipment of wives. <laughs> but. <laughs> but something that like you, you guys made this point um that i yeah you're absolutely right the gender anxieties go into the, like the animals as well right like that it's it's like like <laughs> female dogs Buck, get like I, ripped we are shit. not gonna ever stop laughing at that name I'm sorry to interrupt no. you. The dog is no. almost named yeah. Buck. No, yeah, the, yes, the dog is a big alpha named Buck, and like you know, girl dogs can't hang it in the north. You know, it's oh god, it's it's really it's something. I mean, Buck uh, falls in like they the, his the one danger to him pursuing his ghost dog destiny, running around like fucking the wolves and such, is that he falls in love with this guy who he like can't stop John Thornton mm-hmm. who he can't stop licking and like he he does this thing where he he like wants him in his mouth right, all the time he hand. like keeps like yeah but gently in a nice way but it's like hard nice right cuz he's like cuz it's like it, he it, the description's pretty vivid like he bites his hand hard enough that like it leaves like a lasting imprint but like not 
hard enough to break this. You know, it's like, okay, it's like, it's, it's, it's just aggressive enough to still be manly, but while still being like weirdly affectionate bordering on kind of like, guys doing a bad job with the gentle dog training book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not. It's that the the dog training. It shouldn't be erotic, like <laughs> yeah. the, you know, like. Well, uh, but this is very much. And I think Thornton, too, uh, who is described as a as, as a great, like a, a very good master, right? Like that he's master, a, dad, boyfriend. Yeah, master, dad, boyfriend, all all of those things, and and, yeah. ma- <laughs> and not not master in a sexual sense, hmm. uh, right? Like, oh yeah, that's why I say master dad boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, gotcha. Um, it is quite a question. To, well, one like like with Buck ultimately sort of retreating further and further from like the human, but like what that means, and if it's like the like civilizational rather than like human, like spe- special, right? Um, and, and I think Thornton is interesting, right? Because like Thornton is somehow so he's he's definitely fit for this land but he's different than most of the other men like you know human human men human males that we meet in the book um but (laughs) it's it's like i'm sorry go ahead well, I know you do have to specify. That's what's funny. No, like, but right, but yeah, no, I know. And it's I mean, not your I, fault. <laughs> no, right. I mean, I, I feel like a dumbass saying that, but it's like it is like these these boundaries get really fucking weird, right? Like, um, but so he's like he, but he's like very sharply distinguished from Judge Miller, the guy in California he lived with. Uh, so th- so this is in chapter six. They uh, to Buck's surprise, these dogs manifested no jealousy toward him. They seemed to share the kindliness and large largeness of John Thornton. As Buck grew stronger, they enticed him into all sorts of ridiculous games in which Thornton could, himself could not forbear to join. So okay, um, and in this fashion, Buck robbed through his convalescence and into a new kind of existence. Love, genuine, passionate love, was his for the first time. This. This he had never experienced at Judge Miller's down in the Suncoast Santa Clara Valley with the judge's sons hunting and tramping. It was a working partnership with the judge's grandsons, a sort of pompous guardianship, and with the judge himself, a stately and dignified friendship. But love that was feverish and burning, that was adoration, that was madness. It had taken John Thornton to a row. (laughs) Yeah, well, everyone's got to get horny somehow. (laughs) Which I mean, we could we could talk forever just about like the f- extremely like purple and <laughs> lurid sort of <laughs> descriptions of, of life in the north. Um, but but no, but so like what so what the fuck does this mean, right? Like and like how do we? What is this character, this love object, supposed to be doing relative to like the wild versus civilization, or like the animal versus the human? Well, and also like why does he then have to bounce, right? Like he won't. It's it's uh mm-hmm. it's real he's just doing anarchy he's doing no gods no masters <laughs> yeah yeah right. not at all he's not this is the opposite <laughs> well, I, of anarchism yeah <laughs> it's yeah i mean well it's like okay so so in a in a way it's like okay what is he doing there like what is he doing there but there's it <sighs> But it's also like what he's doing there is making everyone so hard they could cut diamond. It gives it an erotic element that it's been leading up to. Totally. Like that's. Yeah. So it's like that's his. He's like, hey, maybe it's the wrong book. But Pamela, right? Pamela. What's the book that it's like she's got she's in the gutter and then she like gets strong and she meets a guy who loves her. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, sort of. Well, I mean, Pamela's got this whole like weird sort of like domestic kind of fixation. But I mean, no, it like it, it's sort of like a kind of Defoe weird kind of like Mall Flanders. That's what I was thinking, Mall Flanders type narrative. Yeah, yeah. So he gets his good husband. Yeah, yeah. But but that but then he but that but okay so then like but then he but then he dies. Yeah. By the by the by the native, the fake Indians people who are there as a device to make Buck into the ghost dog. <laughs> and do you think that that device also goes to, like, I'm, I'm really trying to, like, so why does Thornton have to die? Like, why does Buck have to, like, balance him? Why does Thornton have to, like, die for this? He can't have a master. This, like- he doesn't, it's fucked up because, like, a better ending of this would just be that he, he like, heartbreakingly walks away from him because that would be actual tension. Go on, get it's totally yeah like i when he was like running with the wolf i basically thought what was going to happen was he was going to like somehow like forget how to get back to the camp or or like he spends so much time with the wolf he goes back to the camp and the humans are gone which you know like i that that would have been a better ending that within the the weird racist uh yeah. <laughs> like uh native attack yeah. uh um it would be normal for the dog to – I can't believe this is coming out of my mouth. It would be normal for the dog to, like, find a wolf he wanted to fuck and realize that, like, this was his new yes, life with yes. them, you know? Mm-hmm. But instead, the guy has to die because, like, Jack London can't allow the book to have any tension at the end or something. It's just like, no, it has to have – it. you have built a novel full of horniness and pathos, and you can't do pathos at the end. <laughs> right, right. And the other thing too, like, so yeah, I, I mean, Megan, I totally agree with you that like the, the, this, you know, fictional tribe is there to, to like successfully sort of mythologize the dog. I also wonder if they're there as a way of like resolving the, like what it means to get rid of the, to, to get rid of the human, right. That like that it, it still want because like there are all those like weird descriptions of like Buck having these like, like. Uh, sort of almost genetic memories mm-hmm. of like life millions of years ago, like in the first time, like when he, dogs were first domesticated that like, so, so it, 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 like it, part of the reason why that, that fictional tribe is there is to like show a, 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 a you know, to show like humanity that is in the, that is, that is like makes some sense in this space in a way that like Thornton, even though he's, you know, this rugged, like manly man who really, really, really loves his dog um, that he's still like, he's still, like a you know like a uh you know a, a white person he's still a he's still like a like european american civilization and that 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 ultimately can't exist here but it doesn't want to like it wants to maintain some proximity between like the natural and the human and that's it's it's leaning on that kind of like noble savage bullshit discourse a little bit well you can't win the frontier unless you kill some indians that that absolutely too yeah i mean it is the it is this like closeness to the wild but it's it's again like i just am sort of feeling like you can't yeah you can't like you can't go west unless you kill indians on your way yeah but like by aside from the fact that buck kills the the chief and ostensibly some others like they get the best of that interchange like they kill every like they kill all the like hans and franz and whoever the fuck is with um with john thornton he has two two guys with him so what's up with that 
what I would, it's like the multi-directional, the multi-directionality of like imperialist racism, right? Like it's on the one hand, absolutely, Megan, what you're saying is it's like they, it's, you know, you can't conquer this without killing natives. On the other hand, it's also like the deeply imperialistic, colonialist kind of like noble savage sort of like, um, oh, yeah. uh, idea as well. Like, like it's, it's always, it's always operating as, as both of those things at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's funny because um, you're uh, I think you're a hundred million percent right, and Jack London gets us there by doing almost fucking nothing, yeah. like totally relying on like you gotta like make it work. You you pull it out of your brain, not the book, because it, it, that is what it winds up doing totally. But like he doesn't, he Jack like the. The book doesn't do it. The book like rests on what you think. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's true. It's yeah, because it's just a. Yeah. It's otherwise it's a doggy tale, right? I mean, it's a violent <laughs> one, but it's like doggy goes north. Yeah, yeah. It's so violent. Yeah, like ex- it's extremely violent. But again, like I think you know, without you doing any work, it's just like doggy goes north. Is that a book? Now I want to feel like I have to look through my kids' <laughs> bookshelves. Yeah, it's, it's one of the <laughs> 50 goes west. Yeah. It's one of the fifty million books that Jack London wrote too, The original one is just like the most yeah. Jewish. Oh no, no, no. I I know I yes, not Five Goes West. I mean Doggy Goes North. That's a that's a Jack another Doggy. Jack Yeah, London. Doggy Goes North is a is a Jack London children's book. <laughs> I I think like the the other the one other sort of like wrinkle that I would draw into this and figure out like what the fucking wild means and like what the human relationship to this is actually does get to like the oh, sort of I'm sorry I, I'm sorry I had to do it one time I'm sorry I had to do it one time <laughs> who whichever of us is at it you know, we should sprinkle more of those <laughs> throughout yeah. all the episode how yeah. will we get to know each other as a pack if we don't do that. <laughs> but the the one like other sort of wrinkle i would draw and i think this does go to like the weird ass genre question around this right which is that like the, the dog is like anthropomorphized in a way that goes beyond anthropomorphization and is so fucking weird for something to, that does not think of itself as children's fiction right like it is tried to give the if it's not if it's not giving the dog a human psychology it is at least tried to make dog psychology legible as human um which so that also that like okay like well what the fuck does that mean with its like whatever the hell it's doing with like the natural versus the human and like you know the longing for this kind of like this pre-civilization past or whatever the fuck okay so here's a weird this isn't i'm going i'm going into the town but like what i wonder if part of that is that like it it, he doesn't have language, right? So, like, he can't talk to the other doggies. He's just, like, feeling his way through this. So that's a sort of pre-civilization mm-hmm. idea. It's wrong. But, like, mm-hmm. that he doesn't have access to language does seem significant in that 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 he's just – it's just the feel. They say call the wild, but what they mean is, like, some sort of primitive uh, – embodied idea i really was expecting a third of the way into this for like why isn't he talking to the other doggies <laughs> yeah, yeah right like <laughs> and then buck said to curly right yeah no i i, I agree yeah i was too that would be dope honestly it would be much more like the <laughs> disney movie that i think this ought to have been 
I mean, I loved thinking that I love your point about the adventure novel. Like yeah. that just seems right to me, especially in context of the progressive era. So, yeah. And I mean, so the, I don't know, like, I mean, I do think the psychological questions are interesting that it's trying to give the dog a, like a, a human psychology or something like that. But I also wonder if it's just, it is mainly doing that in, in the service of the adventure novel and the kind of like colonialist ethos of that, which we've talked about, you know, the, both the anxieties over like where civilization has left masculinity, but, you know, and also just the kind of deep seated, uh, you know, need to uh, still, but to, to, to kind of keep the colonial project going, which is at the heart of so many adventure novels. Novels. Yeah, I mean, I think it absolutely holds the form of an adventure novel. I think it's doing all of that stuff. I just like, I find it still like completely bananas that these editors are like, oh, it's a great novel. And I kind of feel like, I don't think so. Like, I think it's a great adventure. Yeah. Like, I don't know, there are genre novels that are like, in and of themselves great, because for an, any number of reasons, but it's I'm not trying to be a shithead about genre. I'm just saying like, this one occupies a position of psychology that's all about like a brute nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that, that's why I say like, I don't, I, I agree. I don't think it's like a great like novel novel. I mean, I think it is a really interesting sort of historical object oh, that yeah. tells us that tells us a lot about um, the sort of like, well, you know, I mean, kind of this, the histories of the period and the, and the kind of the, the anxieties around, you know, sorry. I, I just, I guess I, I don't like, <laughs> again, I know, I know he's, he says he's a socialist, this is a fucking reactionary as hell. Oh Buck. yeah, this is like, some fascist <laughs> shit. Yeah. yeah. Kill all the guys you don't like to no, so like, you can be at the front of the pack like an alpha. Like an oh, that's where the word comes <laughs> I from. I know. <laughs> no, well like okay, so this relates to the adventure thing, but he's also this this isn't the thing that people like this shit because they remember it. God damn it! Like it's a it's a book that about a fucking dog where you get to be the dog. <laughs> like of course, and it's written like for a twelve year old. So or, I mean, it's not a children's book, but it's something that a twelve year old would love. It, it's about adventure and also this obsession with like the fucking law mm. and. This goes along with it. There's this thing I can't get out of my head and I just have to say it because so then I want him to say it. But it's like the key to this is something like the producer of Law and Order is Dick Wolf. <laughs> Dick Wolf. That's it. But like he's trying to he's trying to like have it a fan uh, have a cool boy party at the same time he's trying to adjudicate what parts of the law are natural and what parts are not like it's not an accident that the this the soft guy that he gets le- left that he leaves behind is a judge totally. like yeah. it is a you know and so he finds a more realer and true law through like adventure shit and the um, law of the wilds yeah and yeah, it's not. It's also not for nothing that like the law was a really uh, like was was trying to figure out like big giant huge yeah. questions like right after the Civil War and uh f- f- America fucked a lot of that up. But that's mm-hmm. like a I think that's part of it too is that we have this settled law. We have we have something like a settled standard or whatever. But we also have like like he's trying to re but that doesn't really work. It fucks people yeah. a lot of the time. And Jack London knew that. And so he's trying to get at something more real and and rugged and manly and like and and hard and throbbing. And at the bottom um, of our nature. Because he just gets lost. Right? Or right. maybe not yeah. ours, but like, like some 
that the dog is some stand-in for the version of humankind that's like our most bestial. Right. Well, here's the weird part. We have this like adventure shit and we go like we go frog about the Yukon gold potatoes or whatever else. And then at the end, it's like it turns out it's like that stupid fucking um, cliche thing like the best – you know, oh, the the one who's like Avatar, the best, the one who's the best at being the Navi is the white guy. Oh, yeah. It's like the one who's the best wolf. The best wolf is a dog. <laughs> yeah, don't right. know. I thought that yeah, too. Yeah. I was just like, wait yeah, a second. That's right. He's just a doggy yeah. dog. Like my, they're not maybe not quite as soft as my dogs, but like they're not. They're they're evolved to live in your house. Yeah. At exactly. best, chase your, chase your sheep's around. I only have one question before we wrap up, which is, hey, Tristan, mm. what does Jean-Jacques Rousseau think? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I do not fucking know. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it, uh, so, I mean, well, Rousseau's thing. Well, I don't know. Maybe Rousseau's kind of down for it because, like, Rousseau's thing was, like, every, like, gradation of civilization, like, actually it fucks things up even more. So, I mean, we tend to think of Rousseau as being in, like, a, a lib- at least liberal and maybe even a radical tradition. Um but I don't know. This is kind of like a reactionary <laughs> sort of take on a take on that line. Um, well, Katie, do you know anything about Rousseau? I I, I mean, uh, dick in his hand. Um, am I right? <laughs> no, but like, like we're not we're not having education like Rousseau right. would okay. want. But yeah. maybe we like. But we're really not in Hobbes. Like, oh uh, no, even though we do have red and tooth and claw. Right. We're, we're yeah. not, but, but maybe we are like because me i don't i don't know there is some version of our better natures though yeah right and in Hobbes, it's i mean it's not I'm, quite that it's not even that no. optimistic. i mean honestly i think we're more in like the social darwinist meet like the sort of you know global imperialist right like the, the, it, 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 like i mean i do here I do, for all that we would like that it doesn't work in the way we want Right. I mean, I think it's like, I think it's like there, you know, there probably is a sort of like classical kind of like liberal line here. But I think that, you know, we go back to like the 17th century. I, this to me feels like some fucking Victorian shit. Oh, it yeah. really does, you know. So, well, it's like a, na- it's like, it's the, the reason why people te- like teach this to say like, this is naturalism. Uh, wait, like the style? Yeah. They yeah. do? But that's yeah. not what naturalism is. No, but like it gets like it's not it's not so like it's not real. It ha- it's like it's like allegorical naturalism or something. That like I, I don't know what to. It's some kind of alle- it's obviously uh, this, allegory for sure. But this like plays with this this plays well with that stuff, even if it's not like a perfect representative of the of the genre. It definitely shares like ideas. But anyway, um, who fucking knows this thing's about a goddamn horny dog <laughs> and being horny for a dog? Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Katie, do you have a fun game for us? Oh, what we are about to do here today is uh, is anything but a game. It's Uh-oh. very serious. It's very serious. <laughs> Um, you'll you'll be making some decisions today that uh, that you can't take back, uh, and you can't you can't deny them either because I did hit the record button this time. So in everyone's <laughs> face, <laughs> the questions that I'm a, that I'm about to ask you are are difficult, and some people 
might say that they are cruel, but I don't make these inquiries. It's important for you to know this just for our friendship and, you know, just our podcasting relationship too. I'm not making <laughs> these inquiries out of brutality, mind or spirit. I, I just want to make sure that you are ready to heed the call of the wild. Always. Uh, Indeed. A- another way to, Another way to put that would be, uh, are you ready to run with the big dogs? Always. Um, <laughs> the big wolfies. <laughs> well, we're gonna, it's going to have to be, as much as I like wolves, it's going to have to be dogs today because we are playing Would You Rather with big dog graphic tees. <laughs> would Great. you rather? Okay. Let's do oh, it. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. And. And so uh, just for, for any listeners who are not familiar with these shirts, um, they were invented for cool guys uh, who have real rude toods. Uh, <laughs> In the 1990s? And, yeah, and today. <laughs> are they, they're, they're contemporaneous with that delightful white trash uh, Big, Big Johnson t-shirt series. Is that right? I wasn't aware of the big Johnson. I would have asked you about that uh, if I had. I think known. I uh, think you folks didn't grow up country like someone on this podcast. Uh, no, I did not grow up country, but I can tell you all about tie dye. <laughs> yeah, I'm sh- I'm sure you, that sounds like Oregon. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> I am but a simple Jersey girl, so all I can do is swear. Um. <laughs> you can go down the shore. <laughs> yes, I can go down the shore. I can down go up the, the turnpike. I can go in any number of places. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but like so, so, so big, big dogs, big dogs. So they're for non-authority respecters, and they usually ha- they have a dog on them. Usually, the dog is wearing sunglasses, and there are slogans on the shirt. Like, for instance, uh, "Don't like my attitude? Take a number," and the dog will be like, wearing sunglasses or whatever. <laughs> I'm at a, I'm at a deli. <laughs> I guess you would be, wouldn't you? Yeah, the dog's yeah. a deli, deli counter. I do uh, not approve of this metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, this this definitely has a Take it a cal- up with the big dog. <laughs> it definitely has a Calvin pissing on a number three or some other NASCAR number. Oh, yeah, for it. sure. Yeah. <laughs> most, absolutely, most definitely. So what I'm going to do is... I'm going to ask you, I'm going to provide you a uh, scenario, uh, like say you're going to a wedding, for instance, um, mm-hmm. and then I will ask you which uh, one of two big dog shirts that you would rather wear to that particular occasion. Okay. Awesome. Cool. And you just got to, you got to pick. Okay. So first choice is a, is a wedding and uh Option A is a, a shirt with a dog on it that says, sex is like air. It's not really that important until you're not having any. Or <laughs> two. <laughs> yeah. Two. Figurative language fail with these shirts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> that, see, that's why they're clever. Yeah. That's why they're clever. Um, getting hosed. Call one eight hundred Bend Over, and it's a picture of a dog in sunglasses pumping gas. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, um, I mean, these are so similar. Uh, That's true. I-, I think I'm going to go with 
the get. I mean, if I am wearing this to a wedding, um, I, th- I think I'm just going to go all the way and take the the slightly dirtier one. So that'll I'll, I'll do B. Wow. I mean, okay. I'm going to go with A because it has a wedding feel. <laughs> like it has a marital vibe to me. You're right. The, the the B has more of like a bachelorette bachelor party kind yeah. of vibe to it. So, but but I'll, I'll I'm sticking with B though. <laughs> it's it's okay. just as good a choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are um there are only losers here, no winners, uh, in this game. Uh, so Tristan's B, Megan is A. I want to make sure that I have it down because this is very scientific scoring method. Okay, so uh, your second scenario is you are it's your first day teaching class it's your first day teaching class you can't wear either of these shirts really but just just uh okay so option number one is why big dogs are better than women the later you are the more excited your dog is to see you and dogs never have to examine the relationship (laughs) <laughs> this is like a fucking long ass joke. Man. Yeah, right. Uh. Uh, or number two, it's a dog uh, eating some meat, and it says, "I like my pork pulled and my meat smoked." Oh, first one for sure. Okay, <laughs> I, I want to let my through. students know how I feel about women. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, uh, yeah. I say, well, I'll try. You know. I guess try it. Well, no, if I were trying not to get fired, I would not be wearing any of these, right? But uh, I, I mean, <laughs> oh, I the second, but you know what? I mean, I, I'm going to keep this classy. The second one could just be about your love of barbecue. Uh, so that's what pulled pork means. So that's what yeah, I'm going to. Plausible deniability there. Yeah, it's like I don't know. You it this harkens back to our Lawrence Stern episode, uh, right? And in that the 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 you 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 create the dirty joke in per the person's head, but you actually make them supply the punchline and it's that's their right. fault if they have a dirty mind. So that's yeah. what I'll do. True. Okay, okay. Tristan not accepting responsibility for his choices <laughs> and foisting the blame onto others. Um, I mean I'm a I'm a I'm a dude, so you know. But. <laughs> I shouldn't have mentioned it then. Um, Okay, so uh, your third scenario is um, you are going to an academic conference where you are presenting. Mm -hmm. Okay, and your choice one is um, uh, just red text. It's a dog in the middle, and it says, I don't hate you, but I would unplug your life support to charge my phone. (laughs) <laughs> holy shit okay <laughs> yeah number two is i farted that's as close to me giving a crap as you're going to get <laughs> <laughs> oh my god those are actually really good for academic conferences though <laughs> I, I know and i i'm actually down with the kind of cranky old man vibe of both of these um thought you would be <laughs> I'm definitely going with A though, just to like really be really just lay lay down the law at an academic conference. Good. I, A's tempting. I think it's my favorite, but I'm going to go with B because uh, one of my one of my uh, grandfather's uh, favorite expression uh, that you know dear, dearly departed grandfather was, "Well, you can wish in one hand and shit in the other and see which one fills up first. And uh, what? Oh, did, Are you? Did, yeah, my grandma did, used to say that. Well, you're, uh, my, 
my grandfather was Pennsylvania <gasps> Dutch, and I think and doesn't your grandmother come from that part of the country too? Yes. Okay. I've never heard anything like that expression before. It's it's an amazing expression, and I'm so glad that uh, Katie and I both know it from our grandparents. That's beautiful. Uh, my God, I am as shocked as as somebody um, first viewing a big dog T-shirt. I tell you what, <laughs> <laughs> I love I love it. It's, that's very it's a very cross stitchable expression too. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> Okay, so here is your your fourth and final question. So here's here's what you're doing. You're helping your friend who's getting a divorce move out of their house. A somber occasion, perfect for a big dog tea. <laughs> <laughs> so your first option is uh, it's got a dog with sunglasses on it, and it says, and I don't know what this means at all. I'm serious. If YouTube my space, I'll Google your Yahoo. YouTube my space, my I know YouTube my space, but like if YouTube my space, I'll Dude. Google your Yahoo. I don't even know what the fuck that I, means. I, I don't. I don't either. Uh, that's why I picked it because I was hoping you could. Maybe you had some insight. Uh, but here's here's option number two. Um, it's uh, a dog. It's related. It's a dog eating a Facebook logo, but it's called Face Bark. And it says, <laughs> I didn't like you 20 years ago, and I still don't. Oh, yeah, for sure. That one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that I mean, that is useful for Facebook where you get friended by some random person. It's like, I barely know you or knew you, and I didn't care for you. Good sir. <laughs> so. I think that's like Tristan. Is that your yearbook quote from high school? <laughs> yes. I is. don't remember you and I don't care for you. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. I've forgotten uh, his name. Uh yep. <laughs> oh boy. So so um Megan, did you did you make your choice? Did you make a, your selection? Yeah, I'm gonna go with B because I don't understand what the first one means. Yeah. Oh, no okay, clue. okay. No that clue. was kind of what, what drew me to it. Um, <laughs> but uh, all right, so we're going with B. So that's the only that's the only uh, only point of convergence here. Um, it makes scoring very easy. The truth of the matter is that you're both winners, and as winners, <laughs> you will be receiving the big dog makes the rules T-shirt, and you'll find out what rules the big dog makes on our Instagram account. You should visit it and uh, be our friend. Uh, all right. Cool. I will not be taking a picture of myself in a big dog shirt, wearing it as a dress, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> belted. It would be cute. Oh, <laughs> no, no <it> but <laughs> does, so does this? That I'm a winner. Does this mean I have to get a pair of truck nuts for for my for my car? You didn't get the truck nuts I sent to you. Guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tristan is going to put truck nuts on his Prius. <laughs> on my Prius. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Uh, it's a Prius. It's, I'm not it's, fucking. It's yeah. It, it really is. It's, it's irony. It's irony. Right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, I will send you screenshots of these because they're funny. Um, yeah, and I'm still yes, gonna. We're, we let's say we are still gonna put them on our Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, okay, so this has been Better Than Dead. You can find Tristan on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find me on Twitter at Teslasaurus. You can find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Better Ed Pod, R-E-A-D. And email us a video of yourself at betteredpodcast at gmail.com howling at the moon. <laughs> we would love it our intro music is left bronstein by the redskins and used with their permission our logo was created by jane bonsack of jb design and content review rate subscribe we still have stickers and buttons and we really sent them out to people and they liked them <laughs> um coming up soon we have our second annual halloween spooktacular um including the monkey's paw we're very jazzed so thanks comrades 